If you have your Bibles with you, I'll invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13 as we uh, continue our series looking at the parables that Jesus taught that are recorded in the book of Matthew this morning. That was, that was Cooper that closed the children's message and prayer. Cooper. Um, I, th- I know it's special. I know that there are a lot of you in Sunday school and in the service at different times that pray for me as I prepare to preach, but I just want to say, Cooper, I appreciate it. There was something special uh, about having a young man of his age lift me up by name as I prepare to preach the word this morning, brother. I really appreciate that. In Matthew chapter 13, we're looking at another one of Jesus' parables, and this is another one where we'll have some agricultural reference. And as I said last week, this is three weeks in a row now we've seen parables with an agricultural reference that have some idea of of planting something and something growing. Uh, But again, as we talked about last week, don't carry over all of the things that we talked about last week to this week because the soil isn't always the same in these parables. The seed, the imagery that's used isn't always the same. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. So we'll start today with a clean slate. And I'll begin by reading for us verse 31, Matthew 13, 31. And we'll get our introduction to today's parable. It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. So here we see uh, several things. Several things that I want to go ahead and make note of before we continue any further. One is, of course, we do see the agricultural reference here. There's another parable that we're going to look at in just a minute in verse 33. These two go together. We're looking at two parables today, one because they're short, but mainly because the two of them carry the same reference uh, and the same principal teachings. But here we see this first one we're looking at is the idea of a mustard seed. I know many of you have seen pictures of mustard seeds, and we've talked about mustard seeds in church at different times, and we know that it's, it's a tiny, tiny little seed so we're talking about a very specifically chosen seed because of its smallness but I also want you to see here and it's easy for us to overlook because it's the same introductory formula that we get for most or many of Jesus's parables where he says the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed but it's really important that we have that in our mind today what Jesus is teaching us about with this parable. He's giving us a parallel. He's saying something is like a mustard seed. If we spend all our time focusing on the mustard seed, we may lose the idea of what he's actually trying to teach us about. Jesus today is not trying to teach us about mustard seeds. That's not the point. In a minute, we're going to look at leaven or yeast. Jesus did not, I trust fully, want me to come here this morning and teach you about yeast and leaven. He wants to use the idea of a mustard seed, and he wants to use the idea of yeast to teach you about the kingdom of heaven. I like how it's recorded in Luke's gospel. You don't have to turn there, but in verse 13, uh, or chapter 13, verse 18, in introducing this, he quotes it as saying, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? So today we're seeing these things will be compared. And Jesus' mind to a mustard seed and to yeast. Now, I want to give you another disclaimer before we go any further. You're going to hear me say several times today, because of the nature of the teaching of this parable, you will hear me say 
the beginning of God's kingdom or, or God's kingdom in its beginning stages or God's kingdom in its early stages, things of that nature. You're going to hear me say those over and over. I want to go ahead and make sure that we're all on the same page. There, is, there really was no beginning of God's kingdom. God has existed forever, therefore his kingdom has existed forever. Right, so there is no beginning to it. So what am I talking about today when you hear me say that several times over and over? I'm talking about the beginning of his kingdom as people saw it and understood it and submitted to it here on earth. So I'm talking about specifically the reference today will be Jesus when he came to earth as the Messiah and as he began his teaching ministry. In Matthew chapter 4 Verse 17, we see him for the first time say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we're talking about, just like I, we, we say often, that Jesus was born at Christmas. And yes, in, the, in human form he was, right? He was born from Mary's womb. It's the day that we celebrate at Christmas time. But Jesus, we know, wasn't ever really born. So today when I talk about the kingdom beginning, we're talking about its beginning here on earth as we understand it now, not the actual beginning of God's kingdom. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page there. So, Jesus tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, and we have to ask the question, how? How is the kingdom of heaven like a mustard seed? And if you look with me in verse 32, we see the answer. He says, it is the smallest of all seeds... But when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So here he's using, as I said, the mustard seed specifically for its smallness. He says here it's the smallest of all seeds. Uh, and it was proverbially, pro, that's a hard word. Somebody else say the word I was trying to say. Proverbially, very good, thank you. It was proverbially used to talk about something that was small. They used this in teaching often this day and time. Rabbis love to use the mustard seed in teaching. So they used it to talk about something that was small, that was modest, that was tiny, that might have seemed insignificant. And he says here that the mustard seed, because of its smallness, in some way is like the kingdom of heaven. He says that this seed that's the smallest of all the seeds is likened to God's kingdom. And of course we have to ask the question, how is that? How is it that God's kingdom, the God of everything, how is it that his kingdom is like a mustard seed? And many of you know, of course, we have to think about the people that Jesus was teaching to in this original time. And Jesus is speaking to Jewish people and some Roman people. And as he's speaking to these people... We know, many of us have heard at least, a lot of the discussion about what the Jewish people expected the Messiah to be like. Right? They've been hearing in all of their lives, they've heard about the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One, this, this Savior that's coming. And many of them seem to have this picture of this great King who's going to come riding in and set them free from all oppression. They've been looking for this Messiah for years when they were hampered by the Philistines. They were waiting for the Messiah to come and save them from the Philistines or the Babylonians or the Assyrians. And now in this day and time, the Romans, right, the Roman government is oppressing the Jewish people. And their expectation is that when the Messiah comes, he's going to set us free. 
He's going to set Caesar and all these Romans straight. He's going to come back and we're going to be the greatest nation again. That's this idea, this picture that we see many Jewish people expected him to be like that. We see they expected the Messiah to be this threatening, great, and mighty warrior king. We see even King Herod, he tricked, right? He tries to trick the wise men. Oh, when y'all find out where this new king is, come and tell me. Because I want to go worship him. But he didn't want to worship him. He wanted to kill him because he was threatened by the idea of a new king being born. Some of them don't get it for a long time. The disciples, after everything, after all of Jesus' life, all of Jesus' teachings, after Jesus has died on the cross and been buried in the tomb and has resurrected and they have seen him resurrected, over in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, before, right before he leaves to go back to heaven, they ask the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Right, they, they have so much trouble with this idea that the kingdom of God would be a humble kingdom. This idea that, that he didn't come born in a palace with great power and great influence and do everything the way that they expected him to. But we know that's not how the kingdom of God was introduced into this world. Right? It was a baby born from a virgin mother's womb to a modest family that lived in a small town in Galilee. That's what we're talking about. That's how the king came. That's how the Messiah was introduced to the world. As Jesus begins his teaching, again, we're not talking about some man with a big political platform and a lot of Twitter followers and this sort of thing. No, we're talking about a man who's a carpenter by trade, walking around the not greatly cared about area of Galilee, telling people, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. That's how the kingdom was introduced, much like a mustard seed. It seemed so insignificant. This, this one man, a carpenter, from a modest family, from a small town in the middle of nowhere, living in the middle of the Roman kingdom, in the midst of one of the greatest times of the Roman Empire, seems small and seems insignificant. And how much more insignificant did that man, did that kingdom have to be as they took his dead, lifeless body down from a cross, where he had just been killed, like any or many of their criminals of the day had been, hung on the cross, died sooner than a lot of people that were hung on the crosses died, and they take his body down and they go and lay this truly dead body in a tomb and put a stone in front of it. How insignificant... Did the kingdom of heaven, did the kingdom of God, did this man, the Messiah, how insignificant, how small, how humble did he look to the world at that point in time? Extremely small, extremely non-threatening, extremely insignificant. And that's point one for this morning. The kingdom of heaven had very humble beginnings. The kingdom of heaven had very humble beginnings, just like a mustard seed. Again, he says the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds. If you look with me in verse 33, he gives them another parable that carries the same teaching here. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour 
till it was all leavened. Now I know that we're not all accomplished bakers here, nor are we all microbiologists, and we're not all clear about. Real quick, what's he talking about here? For those of you that are not bakers, if you take some dough that you were making bread, you've got some bread dough, and you just bake the dough, the dough does not rise, it is flat, and that's what you have. But if you add yeast, or as it said here, leaven, if you add that to the dough, even though the, the amount of yeast seems extremely insignificant compared to the amount of dough that you have, right? You don't have to put uh, equal parts dough to yeast. I don't think that would be very good bread. You add a small amount of yeast to this dough, and it seems so insignificant. It seems like it's just a little thing, but what happens is that small amount of yeast given time permeates the entire dough, and makes all of it rise. It makes those air bubbles that get trapped and makes the bread rise and be puffy and airy and light and all those things that we like our bread to be. But the same point is being made. The yeast itself or the leaven itself, which he says here, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. It's small compared to what you're putting it into. It seems insignificant. It seems very humble. But as he continues the teaching here, what he says is the mustard seed starts out very small and the leaven starts out very small. But look with me again to see what happens from both of these. We'll pick back up in 32. It is the smallest of all seeds, but, and don't miss that word, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Also the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. You see what happens is he uses that conjunction but to show that the mustard seed starts out very small. But when, and not if, but when that seed is planted, it's going to grow. And when it grows, it becomes a tree or a bush, it becomes much larger than your broccoli and your tomatoes and anything else that you have planted in your garden. It becomes the most significant thing in the garden. It started out very humbly, very small. It wasn't much to it. It seemed so insignificant. But once it was planted, my goodness, what it becomes. Something amazing, something to see, something of splendor. The same thing happens with the yeast Right, It seems like just a small amount of yeast, this is not a big deal, but when you put it in the bread, what it says is that it's hid in there until it was all leavened. What happens is eventually all of the dough, every bit of it, is changed because of the small amount of yeast. The whole garden shrinks in comparison to what grows from the tiny mustard seed. And he's telling us that it's the same way with the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God that started as just a baby born to a modest family from a small town. The, the kingdom of heaven that we saw as a man who had been killed on a cross and been placed in a tomb who was dead. That kingdom seemed so small and so insignificant and so humble. But one day, it's going to become the greatest of all the kingdoms. Point two, the kingdom of God will one day overtake all others. The kingdom of God, one day, and we have to be clear about that, it's not necessarily today, 
although it could be. The kingdom of God will one day overtake all others. Just like the mustard seed. It seems small, but it becomes great. And just like the yeast seems small and insignificant, but it changes everything. And in the same way, the kingdom of heaven that was so small, seems so insignificant, seems so humble, will one day be the only kingdom that's left standing forever and ever and ever. And now a question that comes to my mind, as, I, as well as I know many of yours, as well as some of the people in biblical times is, well, why has that not happened yet? If, Brother Zach, like you say is true, if Jesus really was God, and he really was ushering in this great and authoritative kingdom, then why is it that it hasn't happened yet? Why is it that I can look around me today and it seems like evil is winning in many places? Why is it that if the kingdom is going to come, that it hasn't come yet? You don't have to turn there, but in 2 Peter chapter 3, it was asked this way, where is the promise of his coming? You say that there's a promise of him coming back and ushering in this kingdom. Where is the promise of his coming? In 2 Peter chapter 3, in verses 9 and 10, we read this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. What we see here is the answer to this question. Why is it that he hasn't come yet? Why is it that we haven't seen the, the complete ushering in of this kingdom? Why is it that God's kingdom has not come and overtaken everything? In our terms, why is it that the day of judgment hasn't taken place yet? And the answer is not because God has lost the ability. The answer is not because God doesn't have the power to make it happen. The answer is not because God is apathetic and he just doesn't care about what's happening to us here on this earth. No, the answer is given. It says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, as some say he's just delaying. No, it's because he's being patient toward us. Brothers and sisters, what if he would have decided to usher in that kingdom before you had heard the gospel? Aren't you thankful that he was patient and that he waited until you heard the gospel and that you responded in faith so that now you are part of that kingdom? And the truth is, as it says here, that he doesn't wish for anyone to perish, but that all should reach repentance. And even though we know they won't, the reason that there's a delay is so that the gospel will continue to be spread and more and more people will come to the place of repentance. So he's being patient. But again, in this text, in verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter 3, we see that same conjunction. He's being patient for now, but the day of the Lord will come. The kingdom is coming. So what we see in this parable, I want to be clear about this. One of the things that we see in this parable, and that we see in the book of Revelation, and that we see in other prophecies in the scripture, is we see everybody being put on notice. Jesus comes and he puts everybody on notice. He says, here's what I want you to understand. It may look small now, but it's not always going to look small. I may be speaking 
humbly to the world now, but one day I'm coming back and I'm not going to be humble when I come then. When I come the second time, I'm coming and I'm bringing judgment with me. And when Jesus taught this parable and when we see all of the teachings about the end time, what we see is all of us, all nations, all kings, all rulers, all works of evil, all people that are evil, all people being put on notice that Jesus is the king and one day he's coming back to get everything that's his. And we need to be ready on that day because he says it is coming. When the mustard seed was planted, there was no doubt that the tree was going to grow. When the yeast is put inside of the dough, there's no taking it back. There's no overpowering it. There's no killing it. When it's put in there, it's going to make all of the dough leaven. And he said, when I came to this earth, there is no doubt that it's leading to something. And that something is the ushering in of God's kingdom that everyone will see and that everyone will know. And they were so confused because they said, this isn't what we thought the kingdom would look like. So they had doubts. And today... Many of you have the same doubts. Because we look around us and we say, but the kingdom doesn't look like it's winning. You know, we pray over and over. We pray for children in the wombs of mothers to have the opportunity to be born. We pray about this very often and very regularly. And yet we see state after state passing laws that says that it's perfectly fine and perfectly legal in those states for those children to be ripped from their mother's wombs and killed. It doesn't look like the kingdom is winning. Evil, in ways that we haven't seen it ever before, there are more school and mass shootings than ever, there are more terrorist attacks on innocent people than ever. We pray that lost people would come to be saved, and yet things like Scientology and, and apathy agnostics and atheists and, and non-Christian religions, we see them growing. If you put all of it together, they're growing at a faster rate than Christianity in this world. And we say it doesn't look like the kingdom is winning. Is something wrong? Is something broken? But Jesus didn't say, brothers and sisters, when it was coming. He just said that it is. And what we need to remember is that right now, that we're somewhere in between the planting of the seed and the tree being grown. That right now we're somewhere in between the yeast being put in the bread and all of the dough being leavened. But don't let this period in between fool you into thinking that the tree is not going to be grown. Don't let this period when it looks like evil is winning fool you into thinking that God has lost the battle. Or that the kingdom is not coming because the truth that he shows us here is that it is that there is no doubt that it is. Point three, one day the king will come and will claim all that is his. One day the king will come and will claim all that is his. I think about these parables, and I think about Jesus after he had died on that cross in our place, be clear about that after he died on that cross taking the punishment for our sins that he didn't deserve and then placing him in that tomb it seemed like things were over but what we know is that when he was laid in that tomb that that started a process that was going to end three days later and we knew exactly what was going to happen right 
We know he was put in the tomb, but we also know for a fact that every time we read that story, that it's not going to change, that every time we come on Easter, that we're going to hear the same message, that they put him in the tomb on Friday, and then what happened on Sunday? He came out. It's inevitable. That's how it happened. And the same thing is true here. When he came to this earth, he ushered in something that's inevitable. You can read as many times as you want. You can think about it as many times as you want. But the truth is, he came and he's coming again. And when he comes again, he's going to usher in the great kingdom that will be for all of those that have faith in him. And all evil and Satan and all of those that work with him and all of the people on this earth that follow him will taste the lake of fire. And when they taste it and they hate it and they have disdain for it, they will taste it again and again and again for all of eternity. That's coming. And I know it sounds exciting when I say it that way, that Satan and those that follow him are going to be there forever and ever. But what we're reminded of this morning is those that follow him are all of the lost people, whether they realize it or not. We saw that last week. What I just said to you in different wording is that all lost people will go to hell for all of eternity when Christ returns. So this message to us in some way has to serve as a rallying cry for evangelism and missions. Brothers and sisters, Christ came and he's coming back. And when he does, judgment's coming with him. And we shouldn't be okay with lost people. Neighbors and co-workers and friends and family members going to hell forever and ever. So we need to be about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be telling them, listen, I know he just looks like a mustard seed. I know it doesn't look like it, but this is what it's going to become one day. We need to be teaching and sharing that message with everyone around us. But there's one other thing that I pray that this message serves as for us as Christians today. And I pray that that is a boost of faith and a renewal of our confidence. I pray today because I know it's easy when you look around you and it looks like evil's winning. And when you look around and you see that it looks like the bad guys are getting ahead, and when it looks like all the people that cheat are doing better, and it looks like the kingdom isn't advancing, like the king isn't winning. Sometimes when we focus on just what we see around us right now, it's really hard to remember this truth. But I pray today that we're reminded, as Jesus stood in front of the Jews and in some of their minds had to have been saying, listen, this isn't what you expected me to look like, but one day I'll look like exactly what you were thinking. I will come back riding on the clouds. I will be a great king. It just doesn't look like it right now. I pray that he says the same thing to your heart this morning, that some of you say, but God, this isn't how I thought it would be. God, this isn't what I think things should look like. I pray that he says to you through this parable, I know that it doesn't look like what you're expecting. But just wait because one day it's going to. One day every knee will bow. And one day every tongue will confess. Those that love me and those that don't. Every one of them will confess that I am the great and mighty king. One day everyone will understand. And it will look like exactly what you think it should look like. But until then, do the things that I've called you to. Until then, 
do the work that I've called you to. Until then, keep your faith and keep your confidence in me because I'm telling you, the seed has been planted and it's going to grow to full maturity. I want to invite you to stand this morning. As we reflect on the truth of this parable, we're going to have a time of invitation. And some of you here today know that in your heart that you have been doubting God because of things that have happened in your life, because of things that have happened around you, because of things that have happened to your loved ones that has caused you to doubt His power or doubt His love. Let me remind you today through the truth of this parable that that the things that we see right now don't necessarily tell us who God is or how God deals with us. That God does things that we don't see and that we don't understand. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you've been doubting God. I pray that he's renewed your confidence and faith in him today and that you can ask him for forgiveness for ever doubting him. But I also pray that if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you've looked at the evidence, you've looked at the scriptures, and you say, look, if this man who was killed and put in a tomb, if this man is the ushering in of a great and mighty kingdom, that's not the type of kingdom that I want to be a part of. I pray this morning that you hear me saying this, that one man living in flesh and blood is not exactly what he seemed. He was God in human flesh. And yes, he did get put in that tomb, but he also came back to life. And he's alive and well today. And if you've never met him, I would love to talk to you about what it looks like to meet him and have faith in him so that you'll be ready for that day that's coming. I want to ask y'all if you would to respond to the Lord however he leads you to as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of invitation.